You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. Diversity and inclusion is at the heart of social financings and increasingly recognized as a core corporate strategy to drive performance. Navigating the sustainable finance environment is challenging, and our guests today look to shed some light on the process. On this episode of Market Points, we are joined by Agnes Vara, Director of Term Funding and Capital Management and Group Treasury at Scotiabank, who has played an integral part in Scotiabank's own sustainable issues. And Melissa Menzies, Associate Director in the Sustainable Finance Team at Scotiabank, who is helping large organizations structure their own successful sustainable financings. Hi, Agnes. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Melissa, let's start with you. I mean, our topic today is sustainable finance, but more specifically on the DNI side. So, how does diversity and inclusion fit into the sustainable finance framework? It's a great, a great question, um, and very, very timely as well. I think one thing to note in terms of diversity and inclusion is that there's many different definitions out there of, of what that means, and I like to think about it as more than just gender diversity. Um, although that's probably the most common parameter we see in the market around diversity and inclusion, but it's much, much broader than that. Um, it includes ethnic diversity, sexual diversity, racial diversity, um, et cetera. So casting quite a wide net in terms of how we define that term. And in terms of where it fits into sustainable finance, there's actually a few angles. One is in terms of the, the social finance part of the market. Uh, so in 2020, we saw exponential increase in the issuance of social bonds, something like 700% increase of 2020 in terms of volume of social bond issuance compared to 2019. And where that matters is that many social bonds have use of proceeds that actually focus on projects that help promote inclusion and, and diversity whether that's in in terms of supporting women-owned businesses or supporting uh, diverse supplier spend uh, in procurement, promoting programs uh, and services that are publicly accessible for diverse groups, including women, indigenous populations, uh, and minority populations. So there's a lot of focus in the broader sustainable finance market in terms of use of proceeds instruments on diversity and inclusion. And the other angle uh, in sustainable finance that I think is, is important to note is the use of diversity and inclusion targets. We're seeing uh, social, environmental, and broader ESG targets increasingly linked to financial instruments. Most pertinent is sustainability-linked loans and sustainability-linked bonds. In 2021, we're seeing quite a large uptick in terms of the number of loans that are referencing and using sustainability targets that are related to diversity and inclusion. About one quarter of sustainability-linked loans structured in 2021 have targets related to diversity and inclusion. And this can be on increasing the percentage of women in the workforce, can be increasing percentage of women on the board, in executive management positions, or increasing the percentage of visible minorities that are in the workforce or in senior management positions as well. So these targets can be set at different levels of the business, new hires, workforce, executive level, board level, 
but they're being included as targets in sustainable financings because they are material. They're seen to be relevant and they drive overall value for that particular business. So I think that's where we're seeing it mostly fit in uh, to sustainable finance. There's a variety of reasons, I think, why diversity and inclusion uh, is important, but I think those are the two main areas we're seeing growth uh, so far. And of course, Scotia is providing um, advice to clients around sustainable finance, but at the same time have been going through their own sustainable finance journey. And Agnes, you've been a big part of that. Uh, So just from a historical standpoint, when did DNI start to enter um, Scotia's internal framework? So DNI has been a part of Scotiabank corporate culture for a long time, but I think initially it was undertaken on a more siloed approach. And significant impetus to align these different nexuses across the organization, including incorporating them into our funding decisions, really accelerated through 2020 and resulted in Treasury migrating our green bond framework to sustainable bond framework in 2021. That includes such social categories that specifically focus on supporting DNI initiatives. And these social categories include use of proceeds allocations to such assets as women-owned businesses, as well as indigenous and other minority-owned companies or projects that help not only achieve DNI goals across the bank, but I think make the economic fabric of a country more resilient. I would also note that our inaugural sustainability bond issuance that followed the release of this new framework was underpinned by utilization of DNI dealers that further underscored the ESG value proposition of the transaction. And this is just another example of how DNI is now being integrated into the funding decision making in Treasury, which we expect to continue going forward. And finally, I would note that this process of setting up the framework and identifying potential eligible assets um, is still very much continuing to serve as a catalyst to align the bank's ESG strategy across many different departments and also serves to promote ESG network creation that underscores the importance of not only sustainable asset origination, but how to integrate ESG considerations across all business decisions that we make. One such consideration is the importance of data gathering, for example, related to sustainable assets uh, we are originating, which is really paramount in this process, especially due to the increased regulatory scrutiny that is being applied to sustainable issuances globally. The scrutiny is a big part of this. Investors want to see authentic use of proceeds and performance against stated targets. Melissa, how important are the second-party opinion providers in the process? Second-party opinion providers uh, play a key role in the market in terms of verifying sustainable debt instruments to international market principles. So there's a variety of principles out there that sustainable debt instruments align to, whether the green bond principles, sustainability bond guidelines, um, or sustainability linked bond principles. Second party opinion providers essentially review the framework, which is really the disclosure of the issuer of the types of projects they're going to be financing and how they're going to be managing this program and reporting on it internally. They provide that verification uh, or independent view, if you will, of that framework and its alignment to the market principles. They also provide uh, an opinion of how that particular sustainable finance framework aligns to their own taxonomy or methodology internally. Because the market guidance for sustainable debt is principles-based, there does need to be more of a prescriptive methodology laid out, and that's really what the second-party opinion providers do. 
They check a framework to the principles, to their own methodology, and provide a narrative report that investors can read to understand what is the overall objective of this issue or what will they potentially be financing through the sustainable debt program? And is there an overall opinion uh, on the environmental and social impact and best practices of that particular issuer's sustainable finance program? The second party opinion is there to help the investor understand the issue and the issuer. Uh, How should the issuers be understanding the ESG investor uh, right now? Generally, on the green side of the market, investors are fairly mature, and that's why we've seen this spectrum emerge of, of a light green investor, um, which is generally an investor that has a um, has aligned with global market principles for responsible investment and made that commitment to a medium green investor to a dark green investor, which is an investor that's more embedded ESG and integrating ESG into its investment decision-making processes, often with dedicated targets or funds that they manage that require them to invest in green or ESG-labeled products. In in the case of the dark green investors and and other, I'll say, more um, deep ESG investors, they're actively looking and searching out green bonds and social bonds, sustainability bonds on the fixed income side because the supply in the market is just right now not enough to meet their demand. And what that often um, means in terms of execution is that green investors or more ESG-tilted investors, if you will, will often stay in an order book longer. They will um, actively increase order size uh, to fulfill various responsible investment mandates that they have. And they can really help um, in terms of diversifying the investor base bringing new capital into your business. And it's often an area that issuers like to communicate. They like to be able to say in execution, they attracted this amount of new investors. And, oh, a majority of these investors were responsible investors or were ESG mandate investors. So I think there's also a bit of a communication and and marketing angle there in terms of being able to attract these types of uh, investment managers through various sustainable finance programs. I would add that internally, we do take into consideration the ability to attract green investors to our platform as they are very beneficial to the process and tend to be buy-to-hold investors that create stability for the bonds. So for example, over 40% of our inaugural sustainability bond demand came from dark green investors. And this strong participation was spurred both by the lack of supply of ESG issuance that Melissa alluded to. Um, but also due to the investor marketing efforts that we undertook after our framework was released. I would also add that sustainable investors, um, away from being supportive in the issuance context, also serve as a a force of checks and balances with regards to the issuer's ESG-related claims. So their rigorous assessment of the bonds we invest in, as well as their requirements to support those issuances that they participate in through a reporting process, aid in decreasing the potential for greenwashing of ESG-labeled assets and also help drive the move towards uniformity of reporting on these assets across the board. And finally, I would note that Treasury regularly engages in investor marketing that is not necessarily investor or transaction-specific. And increasingly, investors are interested in our corporate ESG strategy and ESG priorities, as well as our framework. Investor engagement is really high in this aspect, 
regardless of their investment vehicle categorization as green focused or not. The investor demand is there for a reason. The market obviously knows there's significant positive business effects. Melissa, at the end of the day, how should we be thinking about diversity and inclusion? I think if you take a step back and just look at the broader societal movements that have happened over the last couple years, if you think about the increased scrutiny and focus on the fact that we still uh, lack representation in boardrooms um, in the corporate world, there is a gap that still needs to be addressed in the market. And the research, the statistics, the case studies that we often all see, and I think largely align to, show that it is a win-win situation to have a diverse and inclusive organization and culture, whether that's in terms of enhanced innovation and ability to efficiently problem solve by having diverse and inclusive perspectives at the table you'll often get to a better solution when you have diverse thinkers um, and open-minded thinkers uh, than everyone who thinks the same way. And I think that's particularly pertinent in a society where we have very complex global issues to, to deal with, like climate change, for example. It's a strong driver of not only workplace culture, but also talent retention, particularly as many young people enter the workforce, understanding a workplace's culture and drive for inclusivity is is a key decision-making factor for them. It, of course, has various impacts on maintaining a strong corporate brand and reputation. There's been a slew of academic studies that have shown that there is also a correlation between having diverse representation within a company and financial performance, whether that's share price, overall revenues, and other financial metrics. It really also is a win-win situation for a company's bottom line. Um, So I think the growth in the sustainable finance market, the growth in financial products that screen for strong DNI performers, the growth of stock exchange listing requirements and ESG rating firms looking for this information all really shows that diversity and inclusion and and managing that successfully is, is here to stay and arguably maybe the most important reason of them all. But from an equity perspective, integrating diversity and inclusion and taking it seriously is the right thing to do. That was Melissa Menzies, Associate Director in the Sustainable Finance Team at Scotiabank. And we were also joined by Agnes Vara, Director, Term Funding and Capital Management in Group Treasury at Scotiabank. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And we want to hear from you. Please rate and review us. Your feedback helps us improve the capital markets content we create for you. You can also find more thought-leading content on our website, gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. I'm Greg White. Thanks for listening. This communication does not constitute investment advice or any personal recommendation to invest in a financial instrument or investment research. This communication is provided for information and discussion purposes only. An investment decision should not be made solely on the basis of the contents of this communication. It is not to be construed as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments and has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any recipient. 
The information in this communication is based on publicly available information, and although it has been compiled or obtained from sources believed to be reliable, such information has not been independently verified and no guarantee, representation, or warranty, express or implied, is made as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. Past performance or simulated past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. Forecasts are not a reliable indicator of future performance. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website.